Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Not just sending over a PDF report that nobody's going to read or look at the numbers. What I've found is we now have said like every week we send the individual posts that are doing well. And then we pushed for our monthly and quarterly reviews to be collaborative with the client. I think about it like this, right? It's like if I go to Subway and I order my sandwich and it tastes bad, is that on the Subway employee or is that on me? Right. I told them what to put on it. I don't walk away being like, oh, dang, they put olives on this. So I want to take that mindset to like when I'm working with my quarterly strategy with the, the companies to make sure we're aligned. And hey, everything that they want, we're hitting those boxes, but then we're able to go through and, you know, add our own flavor, so to speak, to it. Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema, and we are a fractional new business team for marketing agencies and related marketing service companies. Even if you're not at the point of being able to hire a company like ours, I still want to do my best to help out. And today, we are giving away access to our most recent recorded video training titled Relationship-Driven New Business at Scale, emphasis on at scale. This is all about how we secure 5 to 20 weekly brand agency relationships for each one of our clients using tasteful email outreach centered on personal and or business commonalities. A few things we cover. We cover the two big shifts that have created a huge need for this approach and why we think you should rethink uh, the way your agency builds relationships and does new business. We cover the specifics on dozens of commonalities that we have used successfully to build relationships between agencies and brand side decision makers. We cover a simple follow-up process that you can use for your team, even if you're busy, even if you're in a mixed role between sales and client service. And we cover actual copy examples that you can use to get inspired and build your own campaigns. So if you'd like to get access to the video training, which runs about 30 minutes or so, you can do that by going to saleschema.com slash relationships. Again, saleschema.com slash relationships, plural. Jordan, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. So we just uh, got done with you know about a 30-second spirited debate on what we're doing right now, right? Podcasting and how to do it right, how not to do it. I think that we've both had experiences with people building funnels and kind of like bait and switch situations on podcasts. So I really want to get into your background with Cave and with your show. But first, I'd love to hear like what's worked for you in terms of like, how did you build this podcast? How has it played out over the last couple of years? Totally. So yeah, so I started the podcast at the, at the start of COVID. And I was like, okay, I need a way to connect with people slash I want to do this almost as a passion project. And there was a lot of teaching out there saying, start a podcast as a lead gen tool. And I was like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to start this. I'm going to invite people on and I'm just going to have try to create the show that I would have wanted when I was 25. We took that approach. Then we built out a system for booking. We built everything. So now all I do is show up and record. Team takes care of it now. It took a long time to do that. But yeah, and, and now we've, we've scaled up the hunt over... I think we just had our 155th episode go live. 
where we sit with CMOs and CEOs from all over the world. So it's been something that having the show stand on its own two legs and really just be about the editorial content, editorial side of it has led to uh, we're able to scale up the size of our guests with regards to their prominence. Yeah, it's just been a matter of now, you know, recording three, four times a week and getting the sausage made, so to speak, with regards to getting it out, making the video snippets, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a, it's a lot. And we've like gradually ramped up what we do and the complexity of it over time. But it's it's a production, you know, every week we've got to we got to show up. I've got to like record all the elements of it so that I'm not I'm usually I'm the one that's the bottleneck in the process, right? As maybe you can relate. But I think you touched on something interesting, which is that you know you wanted to build the show that you would have wanted when you were 25. So what is that? What are what are some of those things you you would have wanted to learn about, you know, if you could do it all over again? I think understanding like what from talking with these marketing leaders and business leaders, but just one understanding you're not alone. A lot of times, marketing departments are one, two, three people within a brand, or you're starting an agency and you're by yourself and you're sitting there with your co-founder. Like, how are we going to get clients? Two, understanding the value to the org that marketing actually the role that marketing plays. You're not the arts and crafts department, so really changing that positioning internally and understanding how to communicate the value internally. So you are seen as a profit center and not a cost center. I think that's one of the biggest things that would have helped me early on is being able to explain the actual value of it to help get buy-in ultimately. Because if you're seen as the cost center, the minute layoffs happen or budget cuts, like the agency is the first one to go. And then the marketing department is next. So that to me was really huge being like, oh, I know there's value here. I'm now able to articulate and show it a little bit. I want to be able to bring some of that learning back and also hear how top-level CMOs, VPs of marketing, and, and you know entrepreneurs are also tying their marketing efforts back to ultimately their bottom line. That, yeah, that's great. And I, and I really want to dig into kind of how you can position yourself as a profit center. Before we do that, I think it would, would be useful to just get a little bit more on what you guys are doing. So would you mind talking a bit about that, what your agency does, like how you built it, etc.? I started the agency... First, it was a lifestyle blog. We actually started that when I was in college. I had a couple of business partners. I was in Canada and we had a client down in the States. I was flying back and forth, ended up making sense to you know move down to the US, open up an office. And we, we did that for a couple of years. So I had a couple of business partners, grew the team. And then in 2018, 2019, the, a couple of business partners, their brothers are like, hey, we want to get out of the agency world go to our own thing. So then we started kind of the... Uh, we didn't unwind the agency, but the buyout process, kind of getting it to, oh, now I'm the sole owner. So yeah. And then it became... I think I was officially the sole owner, did the buyout in February of 2020. So it was a, a, a good time to be like, oh, now it's all mine. And, uh, and then COVID hit. So then we got to say where we're at now. So when I had business partners, we used to do a lot of services. And hey, full service agency... We had niches with regards to verticals that we went after, but our services weren't niche down. So the next thing I said is we're going to be we're going to scale social media content, social media strategy, and paid social for brands. That's all we're doing. We're not going to take on SEO projects. If there is a massive video production, great, we're going to get a production partner. If there's going to be PR, great, we're going to use a PR partner. So we we took out those service offerings which we used to have when we had. When we had the different business partners. So really, really focused in. And now we're operating out of LA. We got some remote employees, but social media content and paid social is kind of where we live. 
so so much to to dig into there. I guess one question is, what made you go towards that particular service, and how else you know are are you niching it? How are you positioning it out there? Well, one of the things for me was the scalability and talent. The amount of talent in the social world is massive. Where if I would have went with an SEO lens, it would have been harder to find talent, harder to vet talent. Also, yeah, the the pay would have been higher for you know in, in, in entry level staff. All these components that, and we would have been competing against other SEO agencies who've been doing it forever, who are high in search. Where now, I'm actually SEO by like trade. SEO is my first love and social media is my girlfriend, as I always say. But we're able now to rank super competitively for social media related terms. So that was another thing. I said, where can where can we kind of fill in the white space? So if you search for social media agency Los Angeles, we'll be up near the top. So it was a mix of capabilities. I thought that the space was underserved. It was largely an afterthought or you had agencies that didn't have a experience that were going out and positioning themselves as such. And then other agencies that were super old and long in the tooth that were trying to get in the game and they like are not tapped into the cultural conversation at all on what's going on. And they're not really understanding yeah, how to act on social. And so it kind of was a nice space for us to fill. Yeah. What I like about that is that you're thinking about the acquisition channel as part of the decision on where to niche instead of the other way around, right? Because so many people are like, well, we're good at this or we like this. And then we'll figure out how to get customers later as opposed to how are we going to get the customers? Where are they going in terms of like being able to rank? And then based on that, what could we do? That's a pretty healthy approach to it. So, you know, kind of recently you focused on on niching. Can you talk about the sorts of clients you're, you're serving and kind of how you landed on those niches? We continue to narrow it more and more and more. So now what we do is we handle... We want to work with SaaS companies that are at Series A or Series B in financing or CPG companies who are between 750K to 10 million. We've narrowed that. That's what we do. There's the outlier thing that happens. And anyone listening who's an agency owner, like, I don't want to work with lawyers anymore. I don't want to work with gyms anymore. Like that's just the it's cookie cutter. The same problems happen all the time, and I'm just like I am. I'm done. We can't scale. We can't do the creative output I want to do. It's very just like eat what you kill, performance based, which is good to an extent. But I was we wanted to just niche down, niche down, niche down. The other thing we found is with our customer profile, we started to look at the way we look at our deal flow and lifetime value. I go if a customer stays on for two years. We did something right. Then they scale past, but if they're gone after their first year, if they don't re-up the contract, we were good at selling, but something was broken in fulfillment, right? In that first year. I was going back and looking at all the clients that had left, you know, within that one year mark. And they typically just weren't good fits. It was a solopreneur. It was they didn't hit revenue marks. So it was like you could tell that they really were hoping that their marketing, you know, retainer they were paying us was going to solve all their problems. Or on the flip side, they were a Fortune 500. That's why we say to 10 million with CPGs because when you start to work with these Fortune 500s, now there's so many layers for approval that you're actually... We find that we're creatively stifled. Then the, the value is not seen when it takes two months, three months for a tweet to get approved by legal. So we were like, okay, that's everybody wants to work with the big companies, but they don't really know what it's... The, the bureaucracy that's going to go on to get creative through the door. So we didn't want to do that. We also didn't want to work with the, the cousin who has an app idea anymore either. So it was, sure. it was getting out 
of that and local businesses too. Local, I love local businesses. We try to help them with free resources, but I realize a lot of local businesses just don't have the money to scale. Um, and you end up putting your blood, sweat, and tears in. And if they have a cousin that says they do social, they'll cut you for them in two seconds. So we kind of wanted to really, really hone that in. Right. That That's great. Um, and, and just for context, wh- how long have you focused on those niches when we're talking about SaaS and CPG? Undefined. We've focused on them since I kind of took full ownership. Mm-hmm. But I would say like we defined that now on our bios, on social. It's now on our website. Uh, we defined that like four months ago. Yeah, you know, it was just yeah. like looking at and being like, okay, and I'm sure it might even get even more narrowed down to where we find the ideal client. Because once you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, I can pay rent, I think the the mindset has to transition to like, who do I want to work with? Like, agency world is tough, and it's like if we've if we've had a disaster client before who's paying a bunch of money, like those things are the silent killers of your agency because they really suck your motivation from every other client. So with that, you know, kind of thinking about, like you said, um, defining a retention after the first year as the win, what are some of the steps you've taken to increase retention? Like, are there, are there any kind of like locking and tackling operational changes you've made that have had an effect uh, to, to increase that? Yeah. Keeping the client in the loop, sharing updates. There's little things that sound so stupid when I say them out loud, but like if you have a post that does really well, like sending it to the CEO and CMO and be like, this post is taking off. When you're separated and not in the office with them, you have to have the what have I done for you lately mindset and you need to be continually saying it. So not just sending over a PDF report that nobody's going to read or look at the numbers. What I've found is we now have said like every week we send the individual posts that are doing well. And then we pushed for our monthly and quarterly reviews to be collaborative with the client. I think about it like this, right? It's like if I go to Subway and I order my sandwich and it tastes bad, is that on the Subway employee or is that on me? Right. I told them what to put on it. I don't walk away being like, oh, dang, they put olives on this. So I want to take that mindset to like when I'm working with my quarterly strategy with the, the companies to make sure we're aligned. And hey, everything that they want, we're hitting those boxes, but then we're able to go through and, you know, add our own flavor, so to speak, to it. And that's helped. So really consistent communication is something that I, I've just seen so many agency owners, like they're horrible communicators with their clients and communicating wins. So that has been the biggest thing. As a quick break, I wanted to let you know about our newest video training, how to take charge of your agency's future revenue. By the end of this training, you're going to learn how we get two to five qualified appointments every week using tasteful and highly targeted email outreach. That might not sound like a lot, but once you understand the outreach napkin math, you're going to learn how this can lead to massive scale for your agency or B2B service company. In addition to that, you're going to learn the six steps for successful outreach campaigns based on everything that we've learned from working with more than 100 agencies since 2014. You're going to get the complete agency outreach tech stack so you understand the right tools for getting the right results. And you're going to see agency to brand email examples and get inspiration from high converting campaigns. So to get this 30-minute training, all you need to do is go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a complex challenge. I know, I know with us, for a long time, clients would just see outcomes. They'd see meetings booked or whatever. And it wasn't always clear the amount of work that went into those meetings. So there was very much like a binary thing. Either the meeting, there's meetings happening this week or it's crickets. 
And now, you know, we're, we're, we've, we're developing a dashboard. People can go into it and see, oh, people actually are getting these messages or opening them or interacting with them or whatever. But it took a while to get there. It took a lot of like stuff that didn't work, report creation and that kind of thing. So is there a medium that you found to work better than others? Is it simply just like an email saying, hey, this is taking off? Or is it situational? Like, how are you kind of packaging this in a way that people can get inspired by it or understand the work's going on? I believe you talk to people where they want to be talked to and how they want to talk to us. We have to build out profiles for our clients. We have some clients, the majority of them are email. But I'll tell you right now, we have one client that is on a text basis with the strategist. She is she likes the text. She's an owner. She builds big custom, essentially furniture, big custom furniture. Cool. If she wants to text about it, so she's sending us files. Great. We just we text over. Hey, here's the report. Here's what happened. And I meet the clients where they want to be because if I try to force them an email and they're bad and they don't check email, that's a, a losing cause. It's interesting because it kind of like uh, it creates that fine line sort of thing, right? Because you, on one hand, you want to niche and you want to build systems that can scale. You want to hire an account manager that can just slot into an existing system. And on the other hand, you know you, you have to kind of meet people where they live, deal with things on a case by case basis, so you can get feedback or whatever. So, tough question, but how, how do you square those things? I square it with the money and sales solves everything, and it's our job to protect the revenue. The prettiest system in the world is great, but if nobody uses it, it's it's screwed. So I give the strategist the freedom to go and do that. I expect the strategist to come back and report to our internal system and to our internal teams and give us status updates within our system. But I have to allow for some flexibility. You know, when we're going in as these third-party vendors, and, and that every client's going to have a slightly different system. So we have our mothership, where we have our team communication, our, our syncs, and our records of communication, but. When it comes to going and communicating with the client, go bananas, do what you need to do because I think protect the revenue and get new revenue is going to fix my issues more than me like trying to tweak the system a little bit or police somebody on how they message a client. Sure. Yeah. Makes makes a lot of sense. And then also that allows you to hire really good people that can make their own judgment calls and that sort of thing, which I think is bigger than any SaaS product or project management software you could enforce. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. I didn't realize that this was a podcast you guys just started, which makes it impressive because I think there's so many companies and so many salespeople, marketers, they're like, oh, I should really start a podcast, but it just seems so hard. And it sounds like you guys have been at it for a year and and have you know tons of episodes out, nice looking website, getting it out there and everything. So can you talk about that a little bit? Like, What does the, the process look like for you and how does that production play out? Totally. Anyone who says, oh, we should do a podcast, it has to be podcasts. I said, when we're doing this, I'm like, if we're going to do it, I'm committing to 100 episodes. Whatever the cost is, we're doing 100. And then I'm going to measure if it was worth it. After about 6 episodes, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so awesome and worth it. From like a system standpoint, we, have, we use LinkedIn. LinkedIn everywhere to source our guests. And then we, use, we just kind of have a set. Like, great. Once you come on... You get invited to, you know, we use Zencaster. Awesome. Here's our specs for mics we want to use. If you don't have one, go get one. We're going to record this, blah, blah, blah. We send them previous episodes so they can listen. And then, yeah, then we get on, we record very much like this, super free flowing. Uh, and then we do everything through our project management system. So the minute we're done recording, we just set up some uh, Zapier hooks so that it immediately goes 
to our our editor. They edit it. Awesome. Uh, the producer knows to chop the video, and it all comes back within you know three four days. And then I'm tasked to post it on social and tag and what have you. So the guest sourcing and booking is easily the biggest part of it. Uh, you know, show content and everything. That's just reps. You got to get the reps in and figure out who, what's going to be the best. Um, for your audience and for yourself as the host, what you can what you can talk about, what you can get into, what you're passionate about. Because if you're doing it like, oh, we need to do it to drive sales, or we need to do it to talk about how awesome our company is, you're gonna do like three episodes, get six downloads, all from your family, and then you're never gonna produce another show. So it's like, yeah, you gotta take a different mindset. I think. Yeah, we we were talking about that, and I've been on those shows and and heard of shows like that where. I mean, aside from just like annoying people to use the podcast as just a way to get the leads that you're interviewing is just such a waste of energy compared to like building an audience and having building something that's really defensible like that. So um, one thing you mentioned that was interesting, so after six episodes, you knew it was worth it. What, what was happening there? What happened after six episodes that, that told you that? Yeah. So we interviewed a prominent you know, CMO. I tagged her on LinkedIn, wrote the post, said, thank you so much, learned one, two, three from the episode. Two days later, we got a lead inquiry from somebody in her network. Yeah. We saw the tag on LinkedIn, was a VP of marketing at another company, went, checked us out, had the need for social services and was like, oh, you know X? Amazing. How was that? I saw the interview. Let's chat. You know, And that turned into a six-figure deal for us. So it was one of those things where I was like, oh, duh. Like, just if you build the brand, all the stuff that you, we know and we tell our clients, but if we build the brand, you never know who's looking, people will see it. So increasing exposure, adding value. Then when people come to your site, have a clear path to convert when they get there. But yeah, that was kind of the like, oh, this is going to work. Kind of light bulbs going off. And then since then, we just kind of rinse, repeat and improve. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty similar to our process too. So you talked about you know kind of sourcing guests on LinkedIn and that being a big part of the process. How are you doing that? How are you identifying what kind of makes for a good guest and going about that process? What we did is we identified eight, I believe eight, might be nine, tech forward markets in the US. So we said, okay, these are tech forward markets, i.e. where people have heard of marketing agencies before and people have... I don't have to sell them on the idea of Facebook advertising or Instagram advertising. They're, they're going to be sold on it and their, their networks are going to be talking about it and doing it. And then two, we looked at people who are just you know fit a certain company size or VP of marketing and higher. Then we just started reaching out. So we use LinkedIn Sales Navigator. We reach out. We get like a 70% response rate on my on our cold LinkedIn outreach, basically because we're not asking them or promising 40 leads or we're not saying the classic garbage you see. It's mm-hmm. we just say want to be a podcast podcast guest question mark. And they go and we go, hey, then we personalize it. Hey Johnny Smith, we have this podcast. I'd love to have you on as a guest to talk about how you grew product one. Let me know if that interests you. Yeah, the response rate on that is huge. Because we're yep. not saying like, hey, come buy Cave Social's product. So yeah, th- that's kind of been the, the outreach process. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We've had kind of a similar experience with that. And one thing that's happening that's kind of interesting is like lots of these worlds are, are melding. We had Joe Polizzi on the show recently, and we're having Robert Rose on to talk a lot about this, where uh, Joe Polizzi started you know, Content Marketing Institute. 
if I have that right. And, you know, they, they basically just added events and they became essentially like a publisher while starting as kind of a service business, like an agency as a launch pad. I know that there's lots of agencies that have kind of gotten their podcasts to levels of getting sponsorships or building SaaS products, the New York, and then the other things happening too, where you have publishers like the New York times has essentially an agency that does anything, not just getting people ads in the, in the times or something. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Like how much do you see a potential for other things beyond just, you know, growing the service side of the business? It's tough. We're at a, a decent download mark where we could monetize with sponsorship. But where I battle is we, we do our ad read at the start, but it's for our agency, right? And when I look at the value of our service-based client that may come through versus me giving some payroll software a, a plug, the payroll software might pay me 500 or 1000 bucks for an ad read, but it's like, Okay. Versus if I give myself the the plug and they go through and somebody comes through and ends up paying us $200,000 down the road. So it's a hard thing to weigh on the wave right now of just like build the audience as big as possible. We have the service-based business. It's growing and the podcast is definitely fueling that. But, you know, cross those bridges when we get to them with regards to events, meetups, courses, you know, that uh, some of the more auxiliary slash scalable stuff. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What are you working on now? Like, what are the exciting projects that kind of get you up in the morning? Building the agency. I, uh, I found that honestly, it's if I start getting pulled into other projects or thinking about doing another side startup or anything, it's, it's usually just a distraction from like building a service based business there where we have a model and we can build it. Yeah, it's it's that it's building the business, building my team, so giving them the right experience and making sure that they're growing. You know, we have some young younger people on the team in their early twenties, and it's been cool to see their learning at a rapid pace, but also the value they add. Right, we have a TikTok specialist on on our team. Okay, I don't know what's trending on TikTok. Right, I'm I'm 33. The player is out the game. Right, I I don't know anymore. Cool, but it's like I can show them how to put it in a production schedule, communicate the value to clients, like all of those things. Um, so that to me has really been something that's super motivating is trying to build the agency. Uh, once the business partners left and bought out, I said, all right, I'm going to take this from lifestyle to scaling. So that's been the grind right now is trying to scale. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely an interesting uh, period to, to be doing that. So uh, so good on you with that. And so Jordan, thanks so much for your time, man. Uh, how can people follow the podcast, follow what you're up to, get in touch, all that good stuff? You check out Mind Your Marketing if you want to hear interviews with yeah, CMOs and VPs of marketing from uh, around the world. So Mind Your Marketing. And then the best place, Twitter, LinkedIn, at Jordan Shelton. If you're looking at this, it's just at how my name is spelled, which is a little crazy. So check it there. Yeah, we'll get that linked up. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. Again, today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, again, you can go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.